Our children are now dismissed to begin and continue their time of worship. And as they depart, let us pray together. Amidst the sound of footsteps and shouts and joy, O God, we arrive at this time in worship having heard a lot of churchy words. We've talked about praise and confession and thanksgiving and assurance and grace and mercy and forgiveness. These words can be so easily repeated out of habit, used because that's what we are supposed to say in this place. And yet, God, we believe that these are not merely words, but rather this is our way of communicating with you, of being present with you, of seeking you and discerning your call on our lives. And so, God, we ask that you infuse meaning into these words in ways that we may understand them. God, we ask that you speak a new word into our lives so that they may be transformed. We praise you for being present yesterday and today and tomorrow and even in this very moment. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who was love and life made flesh. Amen. In an old Peanuts cartoon, you remember Peanuts of Charlie Brown and Lucy and Peppermint Patty and Snoopy and the whole gang, we see Linus sitting on the TV watching some show. And in walks Lucy threatening Linus to change the channel because she wanted to watch something different. Linus puts his hand on his hips and says, What makes you think you can just walk in here and take over? asked Linus. These five fingers, said Lucy. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want, asks Linus. Turning away, he looks down at his fingers and says, Why can't you guys get organized like that? (laughs) Organizing into a unified whole is pretty foundational to our human experience, isn't it? We need for things to work together so that our cars will move or our heat will work or our government will get things done or our bodies will function in the way that we need them to. Things working together in unity seems like it should come rather naturally, right? I mean, we see birds that flock together in order to travel. We see a circle of life that renews itself generation after generation. And yet when real people get involved... That quest for unity can turn so quickly into Lucy's raised fist. Even on a weekend such as this one, when we remember and honor the legacy of Dr. King, we recognize that there are ones in our shared history whose tireless work for unity and for love were silenced by violence. Unity is not always a welcomed reality. And so we must dig a bit deeper to see how God is calling you and me even today, both individually and together as a community of faith, 
through these ancient words. Our scripture passage this morning came from the letter to the Ephesians, written as a letter to the busy coastal city of Ephesus on behalf of the Apostle Paul. The writer of Ephesians believes strongly that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Jews and Gentiles must now come together to form a new and unified community. You hear this in the themes of oneness that are scattered throughout this passage. One body, one spirit, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. The writer is clear here that God's primary call for all people who join together in diverse community is that of unity in love. And we know here it's not a sentimental love or a love that's easily palatable or splashed on greeting cards, but no, it's a agape love, that sacrificial, unconditional, put-others-first God love, the highest law that we share, that essential communal bond. Love is what makes unity possible. But we must hear in this passage and in the movement of God in the world that in the communities of which we abide, we're called to unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. Writer Blake Coffey tells us that uniformity is the place that we run to out of fear of diversity. Uniformity is the state of being alike without diversity while unity is a state of being one without division. Or said another way, uniformity's highest value is of being the same, while unity's highest value is being together amidst our difference. To put it in our language of Ephesians, unity means joining together as one body of many different parts, not just one collection of all the same body part. We hear this and we think, well, it sounds pretty straightforward. I mean, helpful even for us. We are a people gathered together as a group of diverse individuals. But think of this. Where else in your life, other than in this space right here, do you choose to be in regular, vulnerable, intentional community with people with whom you may wildly disagree? We might disagree with our family or folks we work with or live with or even choose to be in a friendship with, but largely these relationships are rather involuntary or necessary or just by convenience. But here in the church and in churches like this one all around our world, we practice the countercultural, revolutionary reality of living in unity amidst our diversity. This call to unity that we hear in Ephesians is one that we can't water down. It is truly radical, particularly in our day and time. You hear every pundit on cable news or fear mongers on talk radio or cynical politicians that would have you believe this notion that humans can't help but be polarized. They talk of our difference as intractable barriers erected quickly and permanently when faced with disagreement. There are entire industries and companies that have been created to reinforce this false idea that we have a human incapacity to remain unified as a people amidst disagreement and ironically employ the very people whose livelihood depends on us thinking that 
what divides us is more important than what unites. Uniformity, you see, that we see in these models is truly easier to practice together when the measuring lines are stark and black and white and there is no gray. But when you live in the never-ending back-and-forth dance of unity is much more difficult. But yet, you may be asking yourself, well, we can't, that's great and all fine and good, but we can't deny that as a people, we can fundamentally disagree with one another. Even in this particular church community, right at the corner of Grinstead and Cherokee, we disagree. We disagree sometimes about God. There are well-meaning folks of all ages, all colors, all backgrounds, and all means who read these ancient words of Scripture and hear God speaking and guiding and instructing us differently. To take one example, some people feel that God chooses to restrict certain people's ability to lead or be in relationship or to, to act in the world, where others feel that God opens wide the door for all to be invited or considered worthy. We sometimes disagree about Jesus. There are faithful Christians right in our midst who hear Jesus' call to simplicity and live with less. And then there are others in our midst who earn more so that they can give it away to those who have less. We even disagree about the movement of the Spirit, even as each of us seek to discern the movement of our Spirit in our own lives. Oftentimes, it's at odds with others in our midst. You can take any major topic of discussion in our church over the last several years, be it membership or leadership or how we spend our money or how we relate to our government or our culture, and you will find faithful, loving people on all sides of the issue here in this room who interpret the call to practice faith differently based on how the Spirit moves in their life. So if we can agree, hopefully, that God doesn't call us to uniformity or all being the same, what do we do when we find ourselves in community with our own deeply held convictions that clash with others' deeply held convictions? What then should guide us? How do we actually practice unity amidst our diversity? In 2009, a writer named Simon Sinek, which is sort of an unfortunate last name with the name Sinek. He's not really cynical, I don't think, but he published a book with the most simple yet powerful premise. It doesn't matter what you do, it matters why you do it. It doesn't matter what you do, it matters why you do it. He called the book Start With Why, and over the course of his book and then the subsequent TED Talk and other lectures around the world, he hammers home this principle using a model he calls the golden circle. And it is a way to explain why certain leaders and organizations inspire action and others don't. This is one of those moments I wish I had a whiteboard up here that I could draw for you, so you're going to have to imagine with me. So you see Simon take his marker and draw a very big circle on the board. And he points to it and he says, this is the what. This is the basic identification of the thing or idea in which an organization is promoting or selling. He uses Apple computers as an example. 
And so he, he holds this up and says, for example, this is an iPhone. On it, you can call people, you can text, you can surf the web, you can download music or videos, you can organize your life. That's what this is. On the middle ring, he then draws a, an interior ring, a smaller one in that circle, and he points to it and he says, this is the how. This is the way in which organizations and leaders go about their work. On this iPhone, where you can call or text or photograph or explore, you see that it's beautifully designed and simple to use, like all of our products, and it's user-friendly. Would you like to buy it? And then he draws an innermost circle in the middle of the other two, smallest. And he says, this is the why. This is the very purpose of the organization in and of itself. And then he's got this way. He'll lean into the microphone and he'll hold it up and he'll say, this device will utterly transform your life. Once you begin using it, you will not imagine how you were able to live your life without it. That's the why. And for Apple, of course, the why is in devices. But that's the very purpose of the organizations. Simon Sinek tells us that most individuals and organizations move from the outside of the circle in, from the what to the how to the why. But the ones who inspire, who truly have the power to transform their industry and transform the world in which we live, begin with the why. He says any organization can tell you what they do. And many organizations, some, can tell you how they do it. But it's the truly great ones that can tell you why they do what they do. And that becomes their starting point. And that's just it, isn't it? To the question of how do we practice unity amidst our diversity and and do that and build one another up in love as Ephesians instructs us, we must start With our why, amidst countless places of potential disagreement and what could be discord in our communities, if we're unified around our why, we can more readily be agents of love in this world as transformed people. If we're unified around our why, we can live more easily in the tension of difference when faced with that which could divide us. And This principle doesn't just apply to how we live together in community, but it centers us as individuals too. If as people seeking to live faithfully in this world, we're rooted to our own life's why, we can become like flickers of light in the darkness when shame or violence or addiction or disbelief or grief or anxiety threaten to consume us. And so what is our why? Simon Sinek will tell us it's our purpose or our core belief or the goal of who we are and what we do. But here in the context of the message and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, it's called our mission. Our mission. This past fall, I took a group of our young adults on our fall retreat. And we spent our weekend exploring the thoughts and ideas of threshold, those doorway moments in life where you feel like you have one foot in one stage and one foot in the next. 
To conclude our wonderful weekend of exploration together, our final moments of the weekend were spent identifying the why of our life and answering the question, what is the reason I'm here? If I had to write my life's mission statement, what would it be? So after I threw out that um, directive, there were a lot of blank stares and a lot of grumbling. Oh, okay, no big deal. We'll just write our life's why. That's very easy to do here in a few minutes. But after that followed some thought and some concentration and some silence and answers began spilling out. The why of my life is to seek, serve, and shelter those who need to learn, love, and live. It's from one of our teachers. The why of my life is to accept who I am as God made me and be an inspiration for change. The why of my life is to let my life radiate love and understanding of myself and other people in such a way that I assist in the effort of all of us to become our best selves. The why of my life is to channel, feel, experience, and share love. The why of my life is to listen to stories, to learn from others, to grow in love, to build up others, and to act when needed to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. The why of my life is to live a life God would be proud of. These were words of each individual's purpose, of their why, of their mission. And they prompt us today to ask that same question of ourselves. What is my life's mission? What is your life's mission, your life's why? From our individual life's missions to our shared one, We seek together as a community of faith to do as the writer of Ephesians directs us, to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. At Highland, like many organizations, other organizations, nearly two years ago, we adapted our older mission statement to reflect a mission in a changing world. That was a statement of belief, and and we adapted it to be more mission-directed. And we have said... The mission, or the why, of Highland Baptist Church is to be so changed by God's transforming love revealed in Jesus Christ that we are an intriguing, inviting, and inclusive community of faith filled with generous hearts and passion for God's justice. If you need to remind yourself of that, you'll see it on the cover of our order of worship today. The mission of Highland Baptist Church is to be so changed by God's transforming love revealed in Jesus Christ that we are an intriguing, inviting, inclusive community of faith filled with generous hearts and passion for God's justice. This is it. This is our shared why. Together in unity, not uniformity. We're seeking to live and move as the body of Christ. Together in unity, we're building one another up in love and building love together. Together in unity, we're living into that mission to which we have been called by God. And we embark on it each and every day together. Over the next several weeks in worship, we're going to be unpacking this mission statement. So often in our lives, we go rather mindlessly through the motions of each day, 
I know I do. I'm assuming you do as well. We stress about our jobs. We are anxious about our resources. We feel fear about the future. We struggle in the present. We grieve the past. When we walk along life's rocky road, it seems nearly impossible to lift our eyes from the path that we're on, to see the fellow travelers on either side, to see the horizon ahead and the greater purpose above. Taking time to talk about our mission, our individual missions and our shared one together at Highland, anchors us to the God from whom we draw each breath and in whom we live and move and find our being. Like practicing unity in the midst of our diverse community of faith, leaning into our why together is a revolutionary act of faith in a world whose what's and how's drown out that deeper meaning that we all long for. You know, when you have those days, like the great title of that wonderful old children's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I had one of those this past week. It was on Wednesday. I had just returned from a business trip away, and I was behind on many areas of my work. I was slammed with meetings all day that I couldn't keep up with and and do the demands that were needed. And then about midday, I was blindsided from a text from my husband that just said I lost my job. Needless to say, I felt a smidge like Alexander when I was rushing late again to pick up my son from school. And I had the radio on and was listening rather mindlessly, so much so that when this story of love began, it barely registered in that thicket of anxiety swirling around my mind. Slowly and quietly, my ears started tuning out that cacophony of fear and anger that consumed me. My eyes pulled away and pulled up from the path below and the snares that threatened to entangle me. And I tentatively listened more closely. And there I heard a story, a story of twin sisters training and competing for five precious spots on the United States Winter Olympic biathlete team that will leave to go to Sochi next month. Sisters Lenny and Tracy are both biathletes, some of the very best in the world. And yet at the qualifying races in Italy last weekend, Lenny fell ill and finished sixth. Tracy finished fifth, fulfilling her Olympic dreams, and yet knowing what the possibility would mean for her dear sister, decided to give up her qualifying spot so that Lenny could take it and compete in the Olympics in her place. The NPR interviewer was baffled and just kind of pushed her to answer the question, why would you do such a thing? Of which Tracy responded, I think of it as just transferring it. You know, I'm still in a way going to Sochi. It's just that I'm going through her. I definitely would like the opportunity to go. There's no greater honor than representing your country at the Olympics. But giving her the opportunity outweighs going myself. You know, a lot of people get wrapped up in winning gold and the fame of that. But I think the Olympics are about more than just competing. It's about bringing the whole world together and celebrating that. In that moment, I joined what I'm sure were thousands of people around the world 
who were listening to or will someday hear that story and hear the why there. It reminded me that missed deadlines and lost jobs do not define the mission of my life. That relationship of love that Lenny and Tracy share show us their mission. And it sounds to me like a true living out of the agape love that God shares with us and among us, where active commitment to the best interest and care of others often outweighs our own, even when the stakes are as high as the Olympics. Together in unity, they are building love in their midst. That is their mission. That is their why. That is our why. And just think, what might happen if we become that? If we live into that? If our higher calling is not just the Olympics, but no less than God and this world and the people that we are in it? It would be naive of us to think that simply focusing on the mission would mean that disagreements will fade or that unity would come easy or that the hardships that are very real in our lives would begin to make more sense. As Ephesians reminds us, together we are the body of Christ. But still we're a body. We're thoroughly human and delightfully messy just like our actual human bodies. But if we start with the mission, these places in which we don't see eye to eye become refocused, reframed, reoriented. No longer are the issues in our own lives or in the life of our church about the issue. It's about the mission of love. We're not all Olympic stars or national heroes like Dr. King, but we are called by God to live into our why, to be people of the mission, that is to love God and to love others together in unity. We practice that together when we join each Sunday, and we ask God even now to build love in our church, Lord, and build love in me. For these next several weeks that we're exploring our mission statement, we will revisit this wonderful tune that Joe and Austin wrote for us for our capital campaign. We will sing it as our way of making clear this response that we have to the call of God in our lives. And so I ask that you now take your order of worship and turn in the 830 section on that first panel. And we're going to sing this together. And as we sing, may you use these words to feel the call of God on your life and in our lives together.
Baptist Church, we are not a perfect people. We are not a perfect church. We're not even attempting to be perfect, but we are attempting to be faithful, to do so together in unity, to follow the call of God into a hurting world as we stay focused on our mission. If you have felt God's call in your life to unite yourself with our community of faith, or if you're feeling God's call in your life to become a follower of Jesus, to orient your life to his way of love, in our closing hymn, we will invite you to come and make your decisions known more publicly so that we may share them together as a community of faith. I will be at the front. May you come as we stand and sing together. Thank you.